Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your precious word to think that we have before us the words of God. These are not simply man's words, but these are God's words. And you speak through man, writing these down, and then them being printed before us today. Even though they're not in the original language, they're in English, they still speak to us. Lord, help us to be ready to hear your voice this morning and help us not to just to hear it, but help us to want to obey it and do what you, the God who made everything, who made each of us and who gives us the energy to live each day, help us to want to obey you because we have heard your voice here this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, fears dominate our lives, don't they? We are all afraid of certain things in our lives and fears creep up in our minds. And some people have very unusual fears. And these are the different phobias that people uh, have. Uh, There's some very odd ones that we uh, try and learn the names of. And I went on the internet and found out some very unusual fears. There's a fear, it's called automatumophobia. It's a fear of ventriloquist dummies. Another fear is uh, geliophobia, a fear of laughter, so being afraid when people laugh. Motophobia, which is a fear of automobiles, cars. Pelotophobia, fear of bald people. Pentherophobia, fear of mothers-in-law. <laughs> Pentherophobia. Uh, tris- triskaidekaphobia, fear of the number 13. And nomophobia, which is a fear of garden gnomes. Nomophobia. People are afraid of many different things. There are many fears out there and there are many uh, phobias that have been described to describe those fears. We are wrongly afraid of certain things. I think we're wrongly afraid of garden gnomes if we are afraid of those. Uh, But we are rightly afraid of many things as well. There is a right place for fear and there's a right to fear certain things. The question I want to look at this morning is, is it right to fear God? Is it right to fear God? Particularly as Christians, are we supposed to fear God? And Peter says, yes. We've been looking at Peter for a number of weeks now and we're up to verse 17 of 1 Peter chapter 1 and if you've got a Black Church Pew Bible, I encourage you to open it up to page 1200. And we'll be looking through verses 17 through to verse 21 and looking at the subject of fear of God. And Peter tells us that we are supposed to fear God. Verse 17 says, Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. We're supposed to fear God. But why should we fear God? Two reasons, I think, are given to us in the text here this morning. So my first main point this morning is fear to displease God because he is a judge. Fear to displease God because he is a judge. Up to this point in the passage, we've been hearing about the wonderful uh, treasures that we have as Christians, and so we might be tempted to think that we've got this eternal hope and we're so fixed on that that we don't have to worry about God. God has given us uh, paradise, he's given us heaven, And so we don't have to fear him, we don't have to worry about him at all. But Peter wants to remind us that if we call God our Father, 
then he's also our judge. He says, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Why would you fear a judge? Well, a judge is a person who tells you what is right and wrong and has, he has the power to either condemn you or justify you, uh, vindicate you. And when he condemns you, he's got the power to have you punished. And so it's right to fear a judge. And if we've got a good father or a good mother, they're also a judge. We have to remember that. Part of good parenting is being a judging parent, judging what is right and wrong behaviour with the child and then punishing them accordingly if they've done the wrong thing. And God does the same thing. He's a good father. He doesn't let his children run riot. He judges them and he punishes them accordingly. Now, when does God judge you as a Christian? Well, there is in the Bible a lot spoken about Judgment Day when we will all be called up before the throne of God and he is there as judge. Is that what Peter is referring to here? Judgment Day when God will condemn some to go for eternity in hell and others to go for eternity in paradise? Well, I don't think so. I think as Christians we don't have anything to fear of Judgment Day. We have not been given a spirit of fear. We've been given a spirit of sonship and so we don't have to fear that. And the perfect love of Jesus drives out that fear that we have of Judgment Day. We don't have anything to fear of hell because Christ has paid for our sins and so we don't have to suffer eternity of punishment in hell because Christ did that for us on the cross. So what is the judgment that we're supposed to fear? How, as God, as judge, are we supposed to be afraid if it's not Judgment Day? Well, I think it's the judgment of fatherly discipline in this life that Peter is referring to here. Not just because it can't be Judgment Day, that we don't have to be afraid of God as judge on Judgment Day, but also of hints given up to us in the text. One is that the way it's translated there, um, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, judges there is a present participle and so it can be translated as one who is judging. So it's a current judging that God is doing and so it's a judgment that is taking place here in this world. Now, as we speak, God is judging us. And I think that that judging is the fatherly discipline where God punishes us for doing the wrong thing even though we are his children. He punishes us in this world. And I think Peter believes that this is true because uh, a couple of pages over, one page over in the Black Church Pew Bibles, 1 Peter 4 verse 15 speaks of suffering as a direct result of sin in this world. 1 Peter 4 verse 15. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Peter is talking about two different types of suffering there. One is that uh, you suffer as a, a Christian, but he's saying but you can also suffer as a murderer, thief, any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. Simply meddling in other people's affairs can lead God to punish you in this world. Now, how does God punish you? As, uh, as, he, as he is a judge. How does he discipline us? Well, he can discipline us with all kinds of suffering. All the kinds of suffering that we experience in this world can be as a direct result of sin that we have committed here in this world. 
So it can be pain, it can be financial ruin, it can be persecution uh, from other people, people sinning against you. All those things, different types of illnesses, they can be as a direct result of your sin in this world. God is disciplining you because you have sinned against him. Now when he does this, he does with this with absolute fairness. That's what the passage says, 1 Peter 1, 17. It says, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, God is a fair judge when he judges his children and makes sure that we are not punished more than we deserve and he doesn't favour some children so that they don't get punished at all. He judges us impartially. He doesn't have any partiality with him. Why would God discipline his children though? It's not a nice thought to suddenly think that God can discipline us when we sin against him in this world. Hasn't he taken away all the punishments? Why would he do that? Why would he give us pain and suffering if we have sinned against him? Well, it's because he's trying to train us so that we don't sin any longer. He's trying to keep us from hurting ourselves even further by falling into deeper and deeper sin. He's trying to lead us back onto the path of righteousness. Good parents don't discipline their children because they have some sort of vindictive, hateful attitude towards their children. No, they discipline their children because they love them and want them to grow and be prosperous. And so that's what he does. He disciplines us because he loves us. So just because you're related to God, you're his child, he is your father, just because you're related to him doesn't mean you can get away with murder or with any other kind of sin. Peter is saying God has a wooden spoon and he's not afraid to use it based on cultural backlash like we have today. God will discipline us if we fall into sin and it's actually a good thing that he does, that he doesn't let us run right and fall into deeper and deeper sin. So the first reason Peter gives us for reverent fear, for fearing God, is because he is a judge. And so as judge he will punish us with fatherly discipline. The second reason, the only other reason in the text, is because he redeemed us. So that's my second main point this morning. Fear to displease God because he redeemed you. And this is shown in verses 18 through to verse 21. But I'll read from verse 17. It says, Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. So you're meant to live in reverent fear because you have a father who judges. And then we have a linking word there in our NIV translations, verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. It says, for you know. What's the other reason why you're supposed to fear God? For you know he redeemed you. He redeemed you, so you're meant to fear him. You're meant to fear to displease him. And it makes sense that you would fear to displease a good father who has been very kind to you. If Joshua, my son, grows up and I'm horrible to him all his life and do harmful things to him and I don't have a kind word for him at all, it makes sense that once he grows up, he's not going to fear to displease me. He's not going to hold himself back from doing the wrong thing because his father will be upset. He couldn't care less. But if I'm very good to him, very kind to him, very loving towards him all his life as he grows up, hopefully he will remember those things 
and fear to upset me by doing the wrong thing. He won't want to do the wrong thing because he knows that it will grieve me so much. And it's the same with God. God has cared for you greatly by redeeming you. How how great is it that he redeemed you? Well, I think the later verses spell out aspects of our redemption that encourage us to realise how great it is that God has redeemed us. And the first thing we see is that It is great that he redeemed us because he took us from an empty way of life. Verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. Before we are Christians, we are in an empty, futile way of life where nothing that we do is of any consequence for eternity at all other than for our punishment. We're in an empty, stupid way of life. And then God comes along and redeems us from that empty way of life. And it's wonderful that he does so. And so we should not want to sin against him. We should fear to displease him because he took us from that horrible way of life. And if we sin against him, it's kind of like if we've got a parent who saves a child from a burning building goes to great extent to do so, gets burned and singed doing that, brings the child out and the child just turns around and disobeys the parents, couldn't care less about the parent and really doesn't care that they were saved from a burning building at all and would quite be quite happy to actually go back into the burning building. That's what you do when you sin against God, when he has redeemed you from an empty way of life. Do you realise what he took you out of? it should upset you to upset him when he has been so kind to you in taking you from that empty way of life. Another aspect of our redemption that encourages us to fear to displease God, he redeemed you not with perishable things but with the precious blood of Jesus. Verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. To think that you were ransomed from your slavery to sin with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It wasn't with silver or gold like the slaves in Roman times were redeemed. It was with Jesus himself, God himself. And not just any God. He's not like the Greek gods always sinning and doing terrible things. He's a good God. He is without blemish or defect. That is how you were redeemed. God gave up himself. It wasn't like you were ransomed and it was $5 to get you out. It was Jesus' blood itself that was a price to take you out of being kidnapped by sin. How wonderful that God paid that price for you. Why would you want to displease him by sinning against him? You should fear to upset him when he gave his one and only son, his beloved son, to bring you out of slavery. And then the other aspect that we see of redemption, of how wonderful it is that God redeemed us, is it was planned before the creation of the world. Verse 20, He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. It wasn't as though God accidentally 
paid the price for you to come out of slavery to sin. He paid the ransom price and it was kind of a coincidence that he was there, he had enough money at the time and it all worked out well. He planned it before the creation of the world. God had been working on this plan before you were made, before any of your ancestors were made, before the world itself was made. He's been planning it for a long, long time when Jesus finally goes to the cross and when you, when you finally repent and believe. It's been part of a long, long process that God's put a lot of effort into. And so you should be afraid to upset him by sinning when he has put so much effort into it, when he planned it before the creation of the world. If you sin against God, it's kind of like your parents. They want to throw a great celebration for you, like a birthday party or a wedding, and they put up a lot of money, cost them a lot, and they put a lot of preparations into it. They say, don't worry about organising it. I'll organise it. I'll take care of everything. I'll pay the caterers. I'll pay for the the venue. I'll organise the the, um, flowers for the tables if it's a wedding and all these kinds of things, things over the back of the chairs. Puts a lot of effort into preparing this celebration for you. And then what do you do? You show up at the celebration and you ridicule your parents when it comes time for speeches. You say that they're worthless people, that you really wouldn't like them in your life at all. And you run a riot with your your friends, you get with them and you cause mischief and trouble. That's what you're doing when God has planned for you to be redeemed from creation of the world, before the creation of the world. And then you go and sin against him and displease him. You're saying it's no big deal that you planned this so long ago, God. And I don't really care if I upset you. Another aspect of this redemption plan that is so wonderful is that it's revealed this redemption was done for your sake. Verse 20, it says, He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. God didn't need to reveal his gospel plan for himself, for his own sake. He knows all about it. He reveals this redemption plan to you for your sake. And he didn't even need to do so. He didn't need to save anyone. After Adam and Eve sinned, he could have sent them straight to hell and that would have been it. He doesn't need to redeem anyone. There is no obligation upon God to save anyone. But he, in his mercy, reveals his salvation plan for your sake. How could you dare to displease him? You should be afraid to upset him when he has been so kind in revealing himself to you. If you don't, it's like parents who leave a careful record of their assets in their will for their children and the children couldn't care less. The parents could have just hidden all that they had and it could have been left and eventually uh, taken over by the government. It would have been claimed by them or someone else. But the parents carefully reveal What's going on for the children's sake? Not for their own sake. They know where their assets are. They know all the financial details that they have. But they carefully make sure that the children know for their sake. But then the child turns around and couldn't care less about the parents. Doesn't want to please them. Doesn't care if they upset them. When they have been so loving 
in revealing themselves and what they own for the children's sake. And that's what we do when we upset God. We're saying it's no big deal that you revealed your plan for us. It doesn't matter if I upset you by sinning against you. And then lastly, one thing that shows how wonderful our redemption is, is that all it required of you was to believe. Verse 21, Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. What did you have to do to get salvation? What did you have to do to spend eternity in paradise, in heaven with God, in streets paved with gold? You just have to believe. You just have to receive it, take it from God as a gift to you. That's so wonderful. How could you want to upset a God who has given you everything simply by faith? That you just have to receive it. Why would you want to sin against a God who has been so good to you? It's like a parent who uh, says to a child, you can have a house. I bought a house. It's now yours. All you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is take it. I'm offering it to you. Will you take it? And you take it. Say, nice house, thanks. But then you sin against them. You don't want to have anything to do with them. You disobey them when they uh, give you any sort of uh, advice and commands. No, you've got no respect for your parents whatsoever. When they just gave you something so wonderful and all you had to do, you didn't have to pay a dime, you just had to receive it. And that's what God did when he redeemed us. He redeemed us by simply saying, believe, take, receive this gift from me. How could you sin against a God who has been so good in redeeming you? How could you want to upset him and displease him by sinning against him? We should fear to upset God. When it comes to sin, we so often are afraid of what other people will think if they find out about our sin. We keep our sins secret because we don't want people to think badly of us. But that shouldn't be our attitude. Our attitude should be, we don't want God to find out about our sins. We should be afraid that he finds out what we've been doing in secret and is upset because he's been such a good father to us. And the thing is, God knows everything. He knows the sins that you commit. And so the only way to not upset him is to not sin at all, to try and try and try again to be as holy and blameless as possible so you don't upset a God who has been so generous, so kind, so loving towards you. So here we see in this passage two reasons to fear breaking God's laws. One is fatherly discipline, that he will punish us. The other is ingratitude, that you will displease him when he's been so good. I think this is a lot like training earthly children uh, with discipline and with reasoning. As you get older, I think you don't care so much that your parents have a wooden spoon in the house. You care more so that you will upset them when you sin against them, when you do the wrong thing. And so as you get older and older, the wooden spoon becomes less and less 
of a fear that dominates you because you know more and more about how good your parents have been. And there's been a longer and longer track record of them being so generous and kind to you in paying for things and being, uh, being there and supportive when you have problems. And that's, I think, the same with us as Christians. Yes, we do fear God's heavy hand of discipline coming upon us if we do the wrong thing. And we should welcome discipline when it comes, if it's correcting us out of sin. But I think as we get older and more mature as Christians, it's not so much that we fear the discipline, it's that we get more and more knowledge of how great God has been and we dwell upon the gospel more and more and we realise how fabulous it is to be a Christian and how merciful and gracious God has been. And so it's not about him disciplining us when we do the wrong thing, it's about us upsetting him and throwing his gift back in his face almost. And so that's what drives us to fear, to displease him. If you are a Christian, do you fear God? Or do you think that there's nothing to fear from your heavenly Father? Do you fear to sin because God can punish you for your sins? If not, remember that God is not a parent that lets children run out in the road and get hurt. He is a God who, when he sees you running into dangerous sin, he will discipline you for it to bring you back and to protect you. Do you fear God as a Christian to sin because God has been so good to you? If not, I encourage you to meditate upon the gospel. Consider what it means to be saved. Consider what it means that God gave his one and only son for you and that, as you meditate upon that, should drive sin further and further from your mind and from your life. If you want to sin no longer, increase your knowledge of what Jesus did at the cross. Meditate upon how good God is and that will drive sin away from you. If you're not a Christian here this morning... Notice that you don't fear God as a parent to gain salvation. You fear your parents, your parents, your earthly parents, not to become their children. You already are their children. You fear them because you are the child. All the fear of another person doesn't make you that person's child. You already are the child. And it's the same with Christianity. You need to be born first into the family of God before you fear God as a parent and start to do the right thing. Doing good works, doing the right thing, doesn't save anyone. That doesn't bring anyone into a parental relationship with God. The only thing that brings you into a relationship with God is faith, repentance and faith, admitting that you're a sinner, and that you believe Jesus died for you. There is a fear of God that does drive us to repentance and faith, that does get us salvation, and that's a fear of him as the judge of the earth and a judge of everyone. That fear drives us to him, but when we find Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, that's when you turn and the fear changes to being a fear of fatherly discipline and a fear of displeasing a father who's been so good to you. There is a fear that drives us to him because we fear him as judge on judgment day. But that fear doesn't make us behave so that we can earn salvation. That fear drives us to Jesus Christ. We admit that we are sinners 
and need of salvation through Christ alone. If you're not a Christian here this morning, repent and believe in Jesus now. Accept this wonderful redemption that has been explained here by Peter through faith alone. Trust that Jesus died for you and paid for your sins at the cross and then begin to serve him faithfully. Do good works because you have repented and believed and are a child of God. Do it now. Don't delay any longer. Repent and believe so that you are his child and then begin to live a life serving him with reverent fear as a God who disciplines and a God who has been so good to you in redeeming you from that empty way of life you used to be in. Let us speak now with our God. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can call you Father. And we thank you that you lead us as your children to fear you. We fear that you will discipline us for our own good when we sin, but we also fear to displease you because you have been so good to us and how could we dare be unkind and unloving and unfaithful to a God who has been so generous, so kind to us. You redeemed us from an empty way of life, not with imperishable, with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the imperishable blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Lord, what it meant for you to give your own son to redeem us, we cannot fathom. But Lord, we can grasp at it and it should lead us to be as faithful to you as possible. Lord, help every Christian in this room to dwell upon the gospel and may that drive them to fear, to displease you, a good and generous God. And Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who does not know you as their father, who has never repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ's death for themselves, Lord, may they fear you as judge the judge of all the earth who can and will condemn unbelievers to eternity in hell. May they fear you right now and flee to you in repentance and faith and put their trust in Jesus' death for themselves and then begin to live before you as children who fear to displease their Father. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.